New York, this is Democracy Now! I come to Israel with a single message. You're not alone. You are not alone. As long as the United States stands and we will stand forever, we'll not let you ever be alone. Israel is continuing its deadly assault on Gaza a day after President Biden traveled to Israel and the United States vetoed a U.N. resolution calling for a humanitarian pause. Protests against Israel's bombardment of Gaza are growing across the Middle East and in the United States. Hundreds were arrested inside the capital in a protest led by Jewish groups. People chanted, ceasefire now. We'll hear remarks by the only Palestinian-American Congress member, Rashida Tlaib, as well as Congress member Cori Bush and the writer and activist Naomi Klein. These are the darkest days that I have ever experienced. The Israeli government, with the full support of every Western power in the world, announced an intent to commit genocide using Jewish fears of another genocide as the excuse. And now it is in the process of making good on that threat. That is what we must stop. But first, we go to the occupied West Bank, to Ramallah, to speak with Dr. Mustafa Barghouti, then to longtime Israeli journalist Amira Haas. She spent decades covering the occupied West Bank and lived in Gaza for years. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Dozens of Palestinian civilians have been killed in Gaza as Israel bombed the besieged Palestinian territory for a 13th consecutive day. The Palestinian Health Ministry reports nearly 3,800 Gazans have been killed in Israeli strikes since Hamas's October 7th surprise attack on southern Israel, which killed more than 1,400 Israelis. The human rights group Defense for Children International Palestine reports Israeli strikes have, on average, Average killed one child every 15 minutes in Gaza since fighting escalated. This is Dr. Hassan Abusita, a surgeon in Gaza City who narrowly survived Tuesday's explosion at Al Ahli Hospital, a blast Palestinians blame on Israel. 40% of all the cases that I've seen have been children. A lot of them have been like this, they've lost one or two parents. And unfortunately, these kids have a long, long recovery road in front of them. Earlier today, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak arrived in Tel Aviv, where he was greeted by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Sunak said he believed Israel's military is, quote, taking every precaution to avoid harming civilians. He made no mention of Israel's decision to cut off food, water, fuel and medicine to Gaza, a siege that's widely considered a breach of international law. On Wednesday, President Joe Biden said Egypt and Israel have agreed to allow 20 humanitarian aid trucks through the Rafah border crossing into Gaza. The trucks aren't expected to arrive until Friday. A spokesperson for the Red Cross and Red Crescent Society said, quote, we're talking about two million people who are in need of everything. So 20 trucks will be a drop in the ocean, they said. In the occupied West Bank, health officials say at least seven Palestinians were killed by Israeli forces and armed settlers over the past day amidst mounting military raids and arrests. 69 Palestinians have been killed in similar attacks since October 7th. 
Major protests across the West Bank have also taken aim at the ruling Palestinian Authority, which has launched a violent crackdown on demonstrations. A 12-year-old Palestinian girl named Hassan Nasrallah was shot and killed by PA security forces Tuesday during protests in Jenin following the deadly bombing of Gaza's Al-Ahli hospital. The United States has vetoed a U.N. Security Council resolution calling for a humanitarian pause to Israel's relentless bombardment of Gaza Strip and its 2.4 million inhabitants. The resolution, sponsored by Brazil, called for full, rapid, safe and unhindered humanitarian access for U.N. agencies to deliver life-saving aid to the besieged territory. It included a condemnation of Hamas's attacks on Israel and demanded the immediate and unconditional release of hostages. On Wednesday, 12 of the U.N. Security Council's 15 members voted in favor of a humanitarian pause in Gaza. Russia and U.K. abstained, while the United States used its privilege as a permanent member of the Security Council to exercise its veto. This is the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield. The United States is disappointed this resolution made no mention of Israel's rights of self-defense. The United States' veto of a humanitarian pause in Gaza came two days after the U.S., France, Japan and the United Kingdom rejected a Gaza ceasefire resolution proposed by Russia. Palestinian U.N. Ambassador Riyad Mansour spoke after Wednesday's vote. It is beyond belief that some still speak of a right to self-defense of an occupying power that has made clear it is seeking blind vengeance, forced transfer and annihilation of our people. An Israeli parliament ethics committee has suspended Knesset member Ofer Kassif for 45 days after he criticized Israel's assault on Gaza. His suspension comes as Israeli authorities have arrested more than 100 Israeli citizens over social media posts supporting Palestinians in Gaza. At least 70 Israeli university students face suspension or other disciplinary action for posting pro-Palestinian sentiments online. To see our interview with Ofer Kassif, you can go to democracynow.org. In Washington, D.C., Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders has blocked legislation that would have effectively barred U.S. humanitarian aid from reaching Gaza. On Wednesday, Sanders objected when Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott tried to pass the so-called Stop Taxpayer Funding of Hamas Act. Right now, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of innocent men, women and children in Gaza, who have lost their homes. They've been thrown out of their homes. They have no food. They have no water. They have no fuel. And I remind my colleagues that half of those people are children. 
Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin has ordered an additional 2,000 U.S. troops to deploy to the Middle East in support of Israel. The order builds on a rapid response force of 2,000 U.S. Marines sailing for the eastern Mediterranean, along with two U.S. Navy carrier strike groups. This evening, President Biden's giving a primetime address where he's expected to ask Congress for $100 billion in emergency funds to ship more weapons to Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan and to further militarize the U.S.-Mexico border. Meanwhile, a high-ranking State Department official has resigned in protest of the Biden administration's policies on Israel and Palestine. For 11 years, Josh Paul oversaw arms transfers to U.S. allies while serving as the Congressional and Public Affairs Director of the State Department's Bureau of Political Military Affairs. In a letter explaining his resignation, Paul condemned U.S what he called blind support for Israel as, quote, an impulsive reaction built on confirmation bias, political convenience, intellectual bankruptcy and bureaucratic inertia, unquote. Paul wrote his greatest desire was to see both Israelis and Palestinians flourish, adding, quote, collective punishment is an enemy to that desire, whether it involves demolishing one home or 1,000, as two is ethnic cleansing. As two is occupation, as two as apartheid, he wrote. On Capitol Hill, police arrested at least 300 activists Wednesday as they held a nonviolent sit in protest in the Congressional Cannon Rotunda to demand lawmakers press for a ceasefire in Gaza. The arrest came as thousands of people rallied on the National Mall for a demonstration organized by the groups If Not Now and Jewish Voice for Peace. Organizers called it the largest ever protest of Jews' support of Palestinians. Among those addressing the crowd was award-winning author Naomi Klein. Friends, these are the darkest days that I have ever experienced. The Israeli government, with the full support of every Western power in the world, announced an intent to commit genocide using Jewish fears of another genocide as the excuse. And now it is in the process of making good on that threat. That is what we must stop. That is what we are here to stop. That is what we will stop. There are so many more lives to save. Later in the broadcast, we'll hear more voices from the Jewish Voice for Peace rally in D.C. Among those who is covering the rally, we'll speak with the Israeli journalist Amira Haas. Thousands of protesters took to the streets around the world following Tuesday's attack on the Al-Ahli Hospital. In the Middle East and North Africa, major protests were seen in Ramallah in Beirut and across cities in Tunisia, Iraq and Iran, among others. Large actions against Israel's what they're calling genocide in Gaza have also been seen across Europe. In The Hague, demonstrators rallied outside the headquarters of the International Criminal Court to demand Israel be held accountable for war crimes. World leaders don't have to stay silent. They are only talking on social media, but they are not taking actions. So what do we have to do? Do we have to do stay uh, forever silent and wait until everybody there is dead? Or when are they going to take action? Last week, South African lawmaker, grandson of Nelson Mandela and Kosi Mandela, joined a Palestinian solidarity protest in Cape Town. 
Palestinians are counting on each and every one of us to stand and be counted like they stood side by side with us in the trenches when we fought to liberate our country. In Colombia, President Gustavo Petro triggered a diplomatic row with Israel after comparing its assault on Palestinians to Nazis during World War II, a comparison that's also been drawn by progressive Jews who've spoken out against Israel's actions. Meanwhile, Spain has rejected Israeli claims that two of its lawmakers are aligned, quote, with ISIS-style terrorism, unquote, because they called for Benjamin Netanyahu to be brought before the International Criminal Court for committing war crimes in Gaza. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky says his military has successfully deployed U.S.-supplied long-range missiles, known as ATACMs, for the first time targeting Russian warplanes and ammunition depots. The Washington Post reports the missiles were armed with cluster bomblets rather than single warheads. Such weapons are banned by the Convention on Cluster Munitions, which has been adopted by more than 100 countries, though not by Russia, Ukraine or the United States. On Wednesday, Russian President Vladimir Putin called the Biden administration's decision to arm Ukraine with ATACMs reckless and a grave mistake, but predicted the weapons would not change the course of the war. For Ukraine, nothing good will come of this. It just prolongs the agony. A while ago, they started the highly anticipated and highly advertised counteroffensive in Kherson right now. It has had no success. There have been losses, but no success. Putin made the remarks from Beijing following lengthy talks Wednesday with Chinese leader Xi Jinping, who greeted Putin warmly as an old friend. The pair discussed the wars in Ukraine and Gaza and growing trade between Russia and China, estimated at nearly $200 billion annually. Russia's detained a Russian-American journalist and charged her with failing to register as a foreign agent. Alsu Kromasheva is an editor with Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty, a U.S. government-funded news service. The Committee to Protect Journalists demanded her immediate release, adding in a statement, quote, journalism is not a crime, and Kromasheva's detention is yet more proof that Russia is determined to stifle independent reporting, CPJ said. She's the second U.S. journalist detained by Russia this year, after Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich was arrested in March on what the newspaper called trumped-up espionage charges. And back in the United States, far-right Republican Congressmember Jim Jordan lost his second-floor vote to become House Speaker Wednesday, receiving just 199 votes, one fewer than the first round of voting a days earlier. It was the first time in a century that the majority nominee received less than 200 votes. Jordan is a close ally of Trump was involved in the efforts to overturn the 2020 election results. He's also been accused of a cover-up, ignoring accusations of sexual abuse against an Ohio State University physician by members of the male wrestling team when Jordan was an assistant wrestling coach at the school in the 80s and 90s. Congress members are voting again today, as Jordan vowed to keep going. The House has been at a legislative standstill since Kevin McCarthy was ousted by the far right over two weeks ago. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. 
And I'm Nermeen Sheikh. Welcome to our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. The death toll in Gaza is nearing 3,800 as Israel continues its aerial bombardment of the besieged territory for the 13th day. Dozens of Palestinians were killed overnight as Israel bombed southern Gaza in areas that were supposed to be safe zones after Israel ordered residents of northern Gaza to vacate their homes. This is Rafat al-Nakhal speaking in Khan Yunus after an Israeli airstrike. We came from Gaza City. They told us to come to the south, so we came to the south. We found that the strikes intensified in the south. We stayed in a house. In front of us there were strikes and behind us strikes. There's no safety. There's nowhere safe in Gaza. You have to be ready to die and to just stay in your house. There's absolutely no difference between Gaza City, Rafa, Khan Yunus, between the south, the north, the east, or the west. They, they brought us to the south, and it's been strikes every day. Every day there are martyrs in massive numbers. I'm over 70 years old. I've lived through several wars. It's never been like this. It's never been this brutal. No religion and no conscience. Thank God we only have hope in God, not in any Arab or Muslim country or anywhere in the world except for God. Funerals were held earlier today in Khan Yunus after an Israeli airstrike leveled a three-story building, killing 12 members of the same family. Relatives said the dead include seven children. What is this that has happened to them? Babies sleeping in their houses, five children and four women sleeping in their houses, no men. They were sleeping inside. The strike hit a three-level building on six babies and four women. What shall we say? Thank God. Children are all five or six years old. There was no warning because it's an Israeli despicable terrorist country and not an Islamic country, a terrorist American country. These are seven babies. Four are buried here and three are buried in another site. The total is ten. The children died, their mothers and their grandmother. Meanwhile, in the northern Gaza Strip, an Israeli airstrike trapped children under rubble. Dramatic footage shows Palestinians trying to rescue the children. This all comes as Israel's amassed tanks on the border of Gaza ahead of what appears to be an imminent ground invasion. Protests have been growing across the Middle East after hundreds of Palestinians died in an explosion at the Aapsi Baptist Hospital. Palestinians say the blast was caused by an Israeli missile. Um, Israel's denied responsibility despite attacking the same hospital just days earlier. According to the World Health Organization, 115 health facilities have been attacked so far in Gaza. On the diplomatic front, the United States vetoed a U.N. Security Council resolution calling for a humanitarian pause in Gaza. President Biden, who's returned from Israel, scheduled to give a primetime address tonight, seeking $100 billion from Congress to help arm Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan. Meanwhile, Israel now says they believe 203 hostages are being held in Gaza after being seized in the Hamas attack on October 7th that killed over 1,400 
hundred people in Israel. We go now to Ramallah in the occupied West Bank, where we're joined by Dr. Mustafa Barghouti. He's a Palestinian physician, an activist, and politician who serves as general secretary of the Palestinian National Initiative. He's been a member of the Palestinian Legislative Council since 2006, is also a member of the Palestine Liberation Organization Central Council. Dr. Barghouti, welcome back to Democracy Now! If you can respond to Thank all you. the developments, um, uh, most recently, of course, President Biden has just left. Your assessment of his visit and the Arab summit that was canceled uh, by uh, Mahmoud Abbas, who's based where you are in Ramallah, the head of the Palestinian Authority, the Jordanian king, and uh, the Egyptian president after the attack on the hospital. And your assessment of what Israel's saying about that attack. You know, Amy, I don't know where to start. Uh, the atrocities are beyond description. We are subjected now as Palestinians, not only in Gaza, but also in the West Bank, to horrifying war crimes, ethnic cleansing, acts of collective punishment against the population of Gaza, where civilians are dying because they don't have water, they don't have electricity, they don't have food, they don't have medicines and an act of genocide. Every five minutes, a Palestinian is killed in Gaza. Every 15 minutes, a Palestinian child is killed in Gaza. And it goes on. My last number is 3,785. 3, I think it's already wrong, because with the passage of each minute, more Palestinians are killed. What did President Biden do? Instead of coming here, and telling the Israelis, and he knows very well that the United States is the only country in the world that has leverage over Israel. Instead of telling them, stop this atrocity, have ceasefire, so that you can at least save the prisoners that are in Gaza, the Israeli prisoners. He came here to be totally complicit with Israeli war crimes and to push the United States into becoming a participant in these war crimes by sending soldiers to participate in Israeli invasion and in the, in the crimes that are committed against the Palestinian people. He bought every lie that Netanyahu told him, and he kept repeating them. And I don't understand how the American intelligence structures don't tell their president that these are lies. I am sure they know that. The first lie about decapitating children, it turned out to be a big lie. The other lie about raping women, it turned out to be a lie, and that's what Los Angeles and Times apologized about. Then this huge lie about Palestinians killing themselves in their hospital, this huge lie that Israel distributed and the Israeli military did, as they usually do, by telling series of lies and changing them one time after the other. Before I come back to President Biden, let me explain. Israel committed a terrible airstrike on the Baptist hospital run by the Anglican Church, church killing no less than 300, killing no, no less than 473 Palestinian people, mainly children and women, and injuring more than 300 others. Why? For what? It was all about the Israeli ultimatum that was already, according to WHO, sent to no less than 27 hospitals, including the largest hospital in Gaza, Shifa Hospital, to evict and evacuate 
so that Israel can conduct its ethnic cleansing of big parts of Gaza at the moment with a plan of ethnically cleansing all of Gaza Strip. The strike was clearly Israeli. The type of explosion is something that no Palestinian militant group has. A huge blast that took the lives of almost 500 people instantly, in less than a minute. That's a power that no Palestinian group has. So it was a big lie. But Israel lied four times in justifying this attack. The first Israeli reaction was that they did the airstrike on the hospital. They admitted it in the first round. And they said they did it because Hamas militants were hiding there. Then they changed the story and they said that Hamas is taking Palestinians as a human shield. Then the third story, third changed the story and said it was Hamas rocket. And then the fourth lie, which is now dominant, is that it was a jihadi rocket. How could the United States repeat these lies and accept them without verifying them? Israel did that before with the case of Shirin Abu Akli, when they changed their story four times. Each time, in the beginning, they said she was killed by a Palestinian. And gradually, they admitted that it was their crime. Believe me, these lies should not be continued. And the United States should immediately support an immediate ceasefire. The meeting that should have been taking place with the Jordanian king and with the Egyptian president and with Palestinian president did not take place because all these three people realized that Mr. Biden does not want to support ceasefire immediately. And they realized that he's practically supporting the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from Gaza into Egypt, something that Egypt refused and something that Jordan refused and something that all the Arab countries refused. That is the essence of what's happening now. And so Israel now is changing the plan a little bit by pushing all the people from the northern part of Gaza and the middle of Gaza into the southern part. It's, a, it's already a very small area of less than 140 square miles, becoming now less than 60 square miles with 2.3 million people. They say they push them down for safety, but they continue to bombard them in the south. The game is clear. They want to ethnically cleanse completely Gaza Strip. And they initiated acts of ethnic cleansing already in the West Bank, where 20 Palestinian communities have already been evicted by Israeli terror settlers, where more than 75 Palestinians already killed also in the West Bank. At this very moment, the Israeli army is attacking Tul Karim camp and, and, and Nur Shams camp in Tul Karim area, using drones and using also rockets against civilian population in a refugee camp. This is the situation that is getting worse and worse every day. And the real plan, as I can see it, according to what an Israeli minister said, we're going to shrink Gaza size. What does that mean? Annexing the northern part and the middle of Gaza. What will happen to all these hospitals? Let me read to you what, the, what, what World Health Organization says. World Health Organization says that 130 attacks, attacks, 136 attacks were committed against health facilities in Gaza, during which time 491 Palestinians were killed, 16 health workers were killed, 370 people were injured, 
23 Palestinian health ambulances were destroyed and 26 facilities were completely destroyed or partially destroyed. 77 similar attacks also took place in the West Bank. So nobody can convince us that it was Palestinians who killed Palestinians in that hospital. And nobody should give any justification for the behavior of President Biden. The only conclusion that one can come to is that he cares only about his re-election. He doesn't care even about the lives of Israeli prisoners, neither him nor Netanyahu. Otherwise, why wouldn't they accept ceasefire? Why Netanyahu continues his airstrikes, although these airstrikes already killed 22 Israeli prisoners? They continue because they don't care about Palestinian lives or Israeli lives. And Mr. Biden should listen not to the lies of Netanyahu, but to the noble voice of the Jewish people, the American Jewish people who came to the American Congress to demonstrate and demand one thing, immediate ceasefire. I'm telling you, we're calling on the whole world to immediately stand up and instead of supporting the genocide and the collective punishment and the hysterical Israeli ethnic cleansing to support immediate ceasefire so, so we can stop the killings that are taking place. A ceasefire that could guarantee safe passage to the prisoners, but also that could guarantee humanitarian aid to Palestinians who are now dying out because of thirst, because of starvation, and most importantly, because of lack of medicines and because of a possibility of an epidemic that could start in Gaza because of the suspension of vaccination for children and because of the destruction of sanitary infrastructure. We could see an epidemic of cholera very soon in Gaza. Is that what Mr. Biden wants? Is that what Mr. Netanyahu wants? This is atrocity that should stop. And anybody that don't call, that doesn't call, sorry, for a ceasefire immediately will be considered not only complicit with these, air, with these war crimes, but a participant in them. And, and Dr. Barghouti, uh, could you respond to uh, the decision uh, that Biden announced of Egypt opening the, the Rafah border for 20 uh, humanitarian trucks to enter into Gaza? Um, you know, and what you think the significance of that is, if there is any, and the, the specific concerns you've raised as a doctor, uh, the tens of thousands of pregnant women in Gaza today, what the fate of, of patients there are who are in urgent need of medical care and none is uh, available. Well, one of the most striking scenes was the images of children who died in the uterus of their mothers because they were pregnant and they were hit. But there are 5,500 Palestinian women who are giving birth this month. And we already received terrible, terrible information about them giving birth in the streets because there is no place to go to. Uh, the south of Gaza does not have any, safe, any space anymore, besides the fact that there is no safe space for anybody. Israel has already destroyed more than 80,000 homes and houses of people, and people have no place to go to. And there is very high risk now of an increased infant mortality, perinatal mortality, and maternal mortality because of the situation that Palestinians find themselves on in. No sanitary facilities, no drinking water, 
no running water, uh, no proper sewage system. It's a total disaster and total, total humanitarian crisis. You asked me about something about President Biden. Can you repeat the question, yes, please? Yes, about the, the decision to let convoys, humanitarian convoys, 20 in from Egypt into Gaza. Imagine 2.3 million people already deprived of water, electricity, medications, and food for 12 days. And you send 20 trucks for them? What does that change? It's less than a drop in the ocean. That's much less than what people need. It's all, it becomes only a cover of the crime that is happening. I'm not against, of course, bringing these trucks, whatever they can help. But that's not what we need. We need an open corridor so that food, water, electricity, as well as medications can get to people. We have medical teams in Gaza. We have Palestinian medical relief teams working uh, along the, 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 the work of the Red Crescent as well as the uh, Ministry of Health. And they are calling us every day, telling us we, we, we don't have any more medications. We don't have even dressing to help the injured people. We don't have proper sanitary facilities. How can we deal with patients in these conditions? You know, patients were treated and surgical operations took place the other day on the, on, on, on the stairs of the hospital because there, was no, there were no beds left. And the massacre that happened in the Baptist hospital was so shocking and practically brought the whole health structure down. And now already three hospitals stopped working because they have no electricity, because they don't have, they don't have sufficient medications. It's a humanitarian disaster that is building up. And the only explanation is that Netanyahu wants to solve what he thinks is the demographic problem of Israel, being that number of Palestinians today in West Bank and Gaza Strip and in Israel itself is equal to the number of Israeli Jewish people. He wants to eliminate that. First, by ethnically cleansing the 2.3 million people in Gaza, pushing them out of Gaza and then annexing Gaza Strip, and then initiate a process of ethnic cleansing for Palestinians in the West Bank, first in Area C and then in the rest of the West Bank. That's why the King of Jordan is so shocked about these plans, because he knows that he's coming next. After they finish with Gaza, they will move to the West Bank. This is something that nobody should accept I never thought, I never thought, I admit, and I was wrong, I never thought that Israel could dare to conduct ethnic cleansing in the 21st century. And unfortunately, I was wrong. That's exactly what they are doing today. And I ask the question, they said that Israel has the right to respond. Okay, they responded. They responded. They already killed almost 4,000 people. How many thousands of children? How many thousands of patients, how many thousands of women and men should die before Israel decides it's enough? Or should all the millions of Palestinians disappear from Palestine and disappear from this world so that these fascists, and I call them fascists and Nazis, that are governing Israel would be satisfied? 
Dr. Baruti, I just want to quote uh, to you. I think this is the the senior minister to whom you were referring. Comments he made, Israel's foreign minister Eli Cohen, saying in an interview with Israel's Army Radio on Wednesday, he said, "Quote that at the end of this war." Not only will Hamas no longer be in Gaza, but the territory of Gaza will also decrease. Uh, so if you could talk uh, more about that, elaborate on your point about what precisely they intend to do with Gaza, and then talk about what's happening in the West Bank. You said it's also the site of war crimes, of ethnic cleansing, but also the protests that are directed against the Palestinian Authority there. We had earlier uh, in headlines uh, that uh, the protests across the West also take an aim at the ruling Palestinian Authority, which has launched a violent crackdown on demonstrations. A 12-year-old Palestinian girl named Razan Nasrallah was shot and killed by PA security forces Tuesday during protests in Jenin. So if you could, uh, if you could talk about that, the situation in the West Bank. Yeah, I'm sorry, but the, you you asked about something else before the West Bank. Yes, I just cited to you the the person whom I thought you were uh, mentioning earlier, the Israeli oh, foreign minister yes, talking yes, about. Yes, 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 please, Eli Cohen. Mm-hmm. The foreign minister of Israel means that Israel is turning now, since Egypt is not allowing the the the, the ethnic cleansing of people in Gaza to Egypt up till now, he's turning to Plan B. And plan B is to remove everybody in the northern part of Gaza and in Gaza City itself. That is about 1.1 to 1.2 million people. Move them down to the southern part, southern parts of Gaza. And then annex that area. Cutting down the size of Gaza from 140 square miles to maybe less than 50 squared miles or or maybe 60 squared miles this is the this this is the only explanation of what he of what he said shrinking the size of gaza bringing it down and they think the israeli government thinks that if they cluster all these 2.3 million people in such a small area then the pressure will be so huge that Egypt will be obliged to open the borders and let them out of Gaza. And in that case, Israel would have achieved its original plan of total ethnic cleansing, pushing Palestinians out of Palestine into the Sinai. Mind you, 70% of these people have already been ethnically cleansed by Israel in 1948. They were displaced from parts of the 520 communities that Israeli troops erased to earth Uh, back in 1948, committing 50 massacres and pushing Palestinians out of Palestine. They want to repeat the same ethnic cleansing again. But let me tell you, this is not the the last plan of Israel. Netanyahu made it very clear. Maybe I am repeating that. He carried the map of Israel in the United Nations in front of the whole world weeks ago, in which that map, the map of Israel, included the annexation of all of the West Bank and the annexation of all the occupied Gaza Strip. This is their plan. Annexation, ethnic cleansing, and committing genocide against Palestinian population. But in response to your question about West Bank, let me tell you the situation here is very dangerous, is very grave. First of all, Israel imposed practically a process of fragmenting the the West Bank into 224 small islands or ghettos, if you want, separated from each other by no less than 
640 military Israeli checkpoints, many of which are closed completely. For instance, Jericho now is totally closed. And then the wall, of course, itself, and the so-called bypass roads, which are segregated roads exclusive for Israelis. Many, many Palestinians cannot move now from one area to another. Our health work is becoming very, very complicated in the West Bank because we cannot move medications, we cannot move medical teams. And the worst situation is in the so-called Area C, which represents no less than 60% of the West Bank, where settlers are continuously attacking Palestinians. The other day, Israeli terror settlers attacked the village of Kusra in Nablus area, killed three Palestinian civilians. The army, the Israeli army came and killed a fourth one. The next day, when the people were having the funeral of these four Palestinians killed, the settlers came back again and killed two more people, a father and a son. Six people in one village in less than 24 hours. The terror of settlers is everywhere. But in addition to that, the Israeli army is conducting wide-range campaign of arresting Palestinians. According to my information, no less than 750 Palestinians have been arrested during the last week, and the number is growing, which means that the number of prisoners in Israeli jails is more than 6,300 now, many of whom are held under the so-called administrative detention, which means they don't know why they are in jail, they don't have any legal due process, their lawyers cannot even defend them because they don't know what they are charged for, including 260 children who are in Israeli jail jails at the moment. Add to that the fact that already more than 75 Palestinians have been killed, and the Israeli, NAM is now, Israeli army now thinking that everybody is busy with what's happening in Gaza, they are now conducting military operations against Palestinian civil areas, including Tulkarem refugee camp, and before that, Jenin refugee camp, and this can go on. So it's a very dangerous situation and a very risky situation Dr. for Barcucci, all Palestinians. We only have a minute, but what about and why then the Palestinian Authority violent crackdown um, on demonstrations with the 12-year-old Palestinian girl, Hassan Nasrallah, shot and killed in Jenin? That was also a crime committed by Palestinian security forces, and it should not have happened. It is unacceptable to encounter demonstrators with gunfire. That is unacceptable. We're not calling, of course, for chaos or internal division here among Palestinians. We have enough of what we have in front of us the, uh, fighting the Israelis. But the reality is that the behavior of the security apparatus is unacceptable, including suppression of freedom of expression. People were mad. They were angry at what was happening in Gaza, about the killing of people inside that hospital. And maybe they made some, I mean, they went out of, 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 of control. But responding to that by shooting Palestinians, that's the last thing that we can accept or should we should accept. Dr. Mustafa Barghouti, I, I, I just wanted to say that they have to also abide by international law and stop this, this, this wrongdoing. Dr. Barghouti is a Palestinian physician, activist, politician, serves as general secretary of the Palestinian National Initiative. Coming up, we'll hear the voices of the historic Jewish-led protest in Washington, D.C. Thousands came out. Hundreds were arrested, calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Back in 20 seconds.
Mother, What's with the Wind by the Gaza Youth Choir. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. On Capitol Hill, police arrested at least 300 activists Wednesday as they held a non-violent sit-in protest in the Cannon House office building to demand lawmakers press for a ceasefire in Gaza. The arrest came as thousands of people rallied on the National Mall for a demonstration organized by the groups If Not Now and Jewish Voice for Peace. Organizers called it the largest ever protest of Jews in support of Palestinians. Among those who spoke was the only Palestinian-American Congress member, Rashida Tlaib. I wish all the Palestinian people would see this. I wish they can see that not all of America want them to die. But they are not disposable. They have a right to live. They didn't ask to be born in occupation. And so I just want to thank you on the bottom of my heart. The dehumanization has chipped at my soul, and I can't imagine what it's made so many other people feel. So you all being here to speak truth, because the warmongers are out, y'all. They are ready. They want to kill and not stop. It's pure insanity. I still remember the cry of Maya, who's being dragged out of that festival, crying for her father. But just like poor Shaman Gaza, who is number one in her scores, I don't know if you know anything about Palestinian culture, but it's a big deal that somebody from Gaza could score number one on her, you know, it's like the valedictorian for the whole Palestinian people. <laughs> and both of them, both of them are victims. They're victims of the oppression, of the violence. They both deserve to live. I don't care what their faith is or their ethnicity. Maya didn't deserve to be targeted. Neither did Shama deserve to die. And that's the common humanity that we all have to remember because they're trying to take it away from us. Yeah. That's and we have to make sure it doesn't happen. Not on our watch. I'm going to be real with you all. My colleagues, many of them, I usually don't talk smack about them. No, I'm usually considerate because I don't like them policing me so that I don't police them. But as an American, not just as a member of the United States Congress, I am ashamed. I am ashamed that they're saying, not yet, maybe next week. Not yet, Rashida. Maybe, maybe in a couple of days. How many more have to die? That was the only Palestinian-American Congress member, Rashida Tlaib, addressing Wednesday's historic Jewish-led protest of thousands in Washington. This is the award-winning author and writer, Naomi Klein. Thank you all for being here. I have never seen anything like this in my history of Jewish anti-Zionist activism. It's been decades. We used to be tiny. We are huge and growing. We, We have a sacred responsibility to engage with our parents, our grandparents, our uncles, our brothers and sisters, and try to save their souls, to keep them from indulging in this quest for bloody vengeance. 
We are here because we will not let our fears of anti-Semitism be manipulated in this way as cover for war crimes and colonial land grabs and to foreclose on the possibility of a political solution, which will only come with an end to occupation, with an end to apartheid, with true Palestinian freedom and self-determination. We will not use the fact that many of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were refugees from genocide to justify making hundreds of thousands or even millions of new Palestinian refugees. These are not our leaders not in the Knesset with its so-called unity government and not here in Congress, which reconvenes now in part in order to approve new money and new weapons to send to Israel for its genocidal attack on Palestinians. The award-winning author and writer Naomi Klein, when we come back, the legendary Israeli journalist Amira Haas in 20 seconds. This was not my story by Rimbana and Henry Koich. This is Democracy Now. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. To talk more about Israel's bombardment of Gaza, as well as Wednesday's historic Jewish-led protests in Washington, we're joined by the longtime Israeli journalist Amira Haas, the Haaretz correspondent for the Occupy Palestinian Territories, based in Ramallah. Her latest piece is headlined with no water or electricity from Israel. Gazans risk dehydration and disease. Haas is the only Israeli Jewish journalist to have spent 30 years living in and reporting from Gaza and the West Bank. Her books include Drinking the Sea at Gaza, Days and Nights in a Land Under Siege. Amira Haas joins us today from New York. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Amira. Uh, if you could talk about this is the first time that we're having you on since this crisis began, your response to, to what's happening and the latest news. Uh, it, it's very hard to add anything after, of course, what Mustafa, Dr. Mustafa said. It was in such details de uh, describing the horror horrors. And unfortunately, I'm not in the country. I came a few, a few days uh, before this, all this hell started. And uh, I was yesterday at the demonstration in D.C. after a talk I gave at Georgetown. Um, so I was in the demonstration, not to cover it, but to be part of a, a group that adds that, first of all, uh, demands to, to, to put an end and to, to declare immediate ceasefire. And I wanted to share my, my uh, to be with people that, that um, we share common feelings of, 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 of grief, of fear for the people that we know and that we love, of mourning for the people that we know and we love. Uh, people, both Jews and Israel and Palestinians, um, people who can say at the same time be can be emotional and uh, rational, uh, can be appalled by what happened on Saturday, October the seventh, 
uh, and at the same time say it is not the be- history did not begin with October 7 uh, people who grief and and, and, and and are pained by what is happening and I don't I feel that every word that I say is hollow because it doesn't it's not enough it doesn't the words that I need do not exist in our dictionaries uh, to describe the horror that my friends in Gaza now go through um, and we are here and yes we gather and we meet and we talk and we talk again and we come on there are TV uh, uh, programs uh, but it's we don't reach the main people we don't reach the the As Dr. Mustafa said, we don't reach the, the American, American leaders who, who are the only ones who could force Israel to stop this carnage now. And we don't reach Western countries who could also put, a, 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 put some pressure. And we don't reach the Israeli public that is so drunk with the, 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 the will to take revenge of what happened on, on October 7th. that does not even know one detail, and, and even if it knew one detail about Gaza, it doesn't care, because it d- d- just wants a revenge. But revenge, I think, is not enough to explain what is happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Israeli government is carrying on the political program of the extreme fascist, messianic, religious uh, right-wing government, Settler right-wing uh, 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 party led by Bezalel Smotrich, who already in uh, 2017 said that he has a plan for Palestinians. They have three options, he told the Palestinians. You either uh, give, give in and accept that you will never have a state, you'll never be free, you'll never uh, 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 have your uh, right for for. for self-determination uh, materialized, and then you can live as uh, fifth grade, sixth grade, whatever individuals in, this, uh, uh, in, in Israel. The second option for you is to emigrate. Uh, as, uh, or as we call sometimes by transfer, by, wi- by willing, willing, willful transfer, uh, expulsion by, by, by consent. And the third option, if you don't agree to, to give in and if you don't agree to emigrate and you resist, the Israeli army will know what to do with you. And this is what is happening now, both in Gaza and the West Bank. Israel is carrying out the plan, the political plan of uh, 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 these uh, extreme fascist settlers colonizing uh, uh, right wing. This is, for years, we people, we, we, People on the Israeli left have been warning about the brutalization if things continue, the brutalization that, that might come to a place to a, a place of no return. And uh, I, never im- I never thought that, that I always hoped that when I warned about the danger of brutalization, the possibility of brutalization, that this would be this warning would, would work, that, that it, we will not reach it. And I'm so afraid to say now that, 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 that we reach it, that we've reached it, and the world and the Western world is appallingly, appallingly doesn't, doesn't intervene to stop it. You know, I was at the demonstration yesterday, and I cried. Maybe I, don't, I hold myself not to cry all these, all these uh, terrible days, 
not much, only sometimes, but I cried when some people spoke about their grandparents, Holocaust survivors, and I felt I was there also to, to represent my dead parents who are Holocaust survivors. In this, uh, you know, call to the, to the world, to st- you know, how, how, can they, how can they stand on the side and do nothing to stop this terrible slaughter? I cannot, I cannot bear myself talking here safely in New York while I know what two million people, more than two million people are going through uh, and nothing can justify what is being what, what Israel, what we, what my tax money is uh, uh, causing right now. I don't know if my tax money is now the, 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 behind the missile that might kill one of my, one of my uh, 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 good friends, loved friends in, in Gaza. This is really appalling, appalling, appalling beyond words. Amira, in your latest piece for Haaretz, you write about your family, your friends who are still in Gaza, um, in Tel al-Hawa, in Gaza City. Israel's ordered Palestinians to leave the northern part and go south. That's where Gaza City is in the north. Can you talk about them, uh, what options they have, their decision to stay um, And also, President Biden giving a major address tonight, coming back and saying um, he got—he's going to get the border open so 20 trucks can come in with some supplies. That's a a joke. Anything—anything which is not a complete ceasefire, immediate ceasefire, is—you know, drop in an ocean is a a cliché, but it is— uh, it's less than a drop in the ocean. I mean, my friend who wrote to me, her uh, brother-in-law is in a wheelchair, half paralyzed. They couldn't leave because they said, how can we leave the house with him? And we cannot leave him behind. And her mother is old. So they are there. I, 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 I cannot, even, cannot even imagine what, what they have been through. Uh, I... She just sent me a flower this morning. They had a little little shred of internet, so she sent me a flower responding to uh, 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 my WhatsApp some hours earlier. I have friends in in, in cramped in 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 uh, in, uh, in a school in uh, Nusayrat refugee camp, and um, a mother, a refugee of four of forty eight. She was a child in forty eight. And have been seen so many wars since then. Uh, we have thirty seconds, and then we're continuing this yeah, conversation, yeah. and we will post. So all- I know, I know. I think, and I, yeah, I think of all the also the sick people, sick parents that my friends are staying with them because they don't want to them to leave them alone in uh, dying under the bombing, and so they couldn't, they didn't save themselves in order to be with their parents. Amira Haas, we're going to continue this conversation and post it at democracynow.org and play it on Democracy Now. Amira Haas is a longtime Israeli journalist and correspondent for Haaretz in the occupied Palestinian territories, normally based in Ramallah. This is Democracy Now. I'll be speaking in Charleston, West Virginia, tomorrow night. I'm Amy Goodman with Nermeen Sheikh. Thanks so much for joining us.